Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I've got a whole butt-ton of reviews. <laughs> because uh, I've been taking a look at HBO Max, so a bunch of this stuff is stuff that's exclusive to HBO Max. And uh, so we're going to start things off with the latest episodes of Disney Gallery's The Mandalorian. I've been digging this series so far. Um, the doc- the documentary on the record about the victims of um, you know the uh, the victims of Russell Simmons's uh, sexual assault and, and you know their whole backstory and whatnot, uh, and as well as Brankin Bass's Hobbit movie from 1977, uh, the French animated movie Fantastic Planet. Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which is over on Netflix, but uh, I'll get into why I've been uh, watching that. Plus, uh, trip over to Patreon Corner for a Scanner Darkly, and then we'll get into the HBO Max discussion. So let's get things started. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. So, like I said, I've been uh, continuing with Disney Gallery's The Mandalorian behind the scenes uh, ep- episodes, and I missed last week's, which was the practical effects episode. They talked about, like, the baby pup, the baby. Uh, Yoda puppet, and uh, they kind of talked about how, with the previous episode being about the improved technology uh, and the way to like use VR to look at um, the virtual, the the digital's backgrounds and whatnot, how they still needed to rely on in you know physical props and physical sets, and physicality is still a major part of it. And, you know, John Favreau also tied back into working on Jungle Book, where because he had a physical actor who needed to interact with physical objects, he would, you know, he would build little chunks of sets with the rest of it being virtual and digital, but he would still need those physical objects in place, even if it's just somebody in a mocap suit or a blue screen with some with some uh, set dressing. The, having that physicality there adds to the realism. And like I mentioned last week when I covered um, The Dark Crystal, that physical nature of it, the fact that you can see that it's there and not something that's digitally rendered. Because even now, like uh, we've become so savvy to digital stuff, it takes a lot, even the most photorealistic digital image never quite matches reality. And so the need for physical props and sets will still be there. But yeah, uh, and then of course this week's episode was about uh, the process of making the series. And basically the filmmaking process in general. So a lot of talk about like pre-visualization and using computers to plan out how the sequence will work. And it's it was really cool to look into the into the filmmaking process and the pre and and like pre-production leading into the actual production side of things and then how they ended up shooting shooting it all it's it's I, I highly recommend this series uh for Disney Plus users it is a great insight into how they brought the Mandalorian to life and how they made it as good as they did uh on to a much more somber note uh somber review um 
I'm going to say this right now. This is my second favorite movie of the year. Uh, in that it is, the, you know, this is right behind that My Hero Academia movie. In terms of movie that I recognize its greatness in. And like, but My Hero Academia movie ta uh, spoke to me as like a superhero nerd. Whereas this kind of, kind of hooked me in with just the subject matter and hearing these women's stories. And basically, if you didn't know, um, a couple years, I think it was about a year or so ago, uh, Oprah Winfrey was actually slated to produce this documentary about, um, let me pull up their names, because these are uh, three specific victims of Russell Simmons' sexual assault uh, giving their stories and tell and especially one of them was a very prominent uh figure in uh the in the formation in like the creation of early 90s hip hop i think is it salai uh da, 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 da. writing career truth no um she she's more of a writer who was which one of them was it uh drew dixon uh drew dixon Former A and R exec over Def Jam, and sadly, she all after leaving Def Jam, she went over to work for Art Arista Records, where she was um, when she re rejected L A Reid's advance sexual advances, and she her, her whole career was completely derailed between um, uh, uh, Russell Simmons's assaulting her. And she actually goes into into very direct, de you know, very uh, in-depth detail about what had happened to her uh, and what had Russell Simmons had done to her. And then to go from that to ha to another record company where the dude is trying the same thing again and then he just blackballs her when she says no. And yeah, it's, it is a very, it's very hard to hear, but it's absolutely necessary that we listen. Uh, but on top of her, you've also got Jenny Lumet and uh, Alexia Norton-Jones uh, featured in the documentary, as well as, that's the thing, though, but this do this documentary could just be about them and itself be powerful. What they go on to do is discuss the Me Too movement as a whole, and how despite the fact that it was started by a black woman on Twitter, it has since become a much more whitewashed movement, especially in the wake of Harvey Weinstein, where so many of the actresses that he assaulted were white, mainly Rose McGowan. But at the same point, one of the filmmakers actually was another victim of Harvey Weinstein, Amy Ziering. And so there's this, you know, personal aspect to this uh, documentary, the fact that it, it tackles not, you know, that this sort of thing, and it wants us to hear these women's stories and the and it's going to be hard to hear especially since Russell Simmons specifically was a mate was a such a prominent figure in uh hip-hop culture uh throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s like even like even not you know people outside the black community knew about Def Jam stuff from the uh from the hip-hop to the spoken word to the comedy all this stuff that Def Jam did and Russell Sim and to see hear that Russell Simmons 
was another was like Harvey Weinstein had this long history of assaulting women and and doing much worse that um that a lot of people didn't want to hear it they thought no this 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 is not you know this isn't uh um you know, this this isn't you know we can't he not him because and the movie tackles this too there has been a long very long very dark and violent history of black men being accused of rape and sexual assault and sexual harassment by white women as a means of silencing them and as a means of punishing them because black men were seen as much more violent, much more aggressive, much more dangerous. And so, I mean, like the the, original, the initial civil rights movement was sparked and really started uh, going, you know, really started fanning out and, you know, been growing out of the death of Emmett Till, who was accused of sexually uh, harass, was it assault or harassment? Uh, I mean, I'm gonna get that right because that's an important he, you know, that's an important moment. I don't want to get that wrong. Uh, okay, just okay. So it sounds like harassment. Just basically like, you know, he was um, like uh, da, da, da. looking through his wiki right now, just so I get it right. Um. Till may have wolf whistled. So basically, like, once again, accused of sexual harassment and inst and instead of... And then and then because we're dealing with uh, the... With the deep... Where in Mississippi? Uh, was it like... I, I'm, I'm not sure if it was like rural Mississippi or... Um, like the... Like maybe like a major city... Money, Mississippi, which is fairly, seems to be a fairly uh, small, fewer than 100 residents. Uh, so, yeah, it's a very small community. And for, and, uh, yeah, it's, it was, yeah, for them to just come out and lynch this kid just for the accusation of harassing a white woman there's yeah that that kind of speaks to the the idea of black men being the aggressors and in the movie it's a predominantly black women collect it, it's it's mostly black if not completely black um interviews and um predominantly black women and they address the fact that there's this need this this notion that when a black man is accused of this sort of thing to not want to believe it initially because there's this long, long history of people leveraging um, assault charges and, you know, these, uh, these allegations to target black men in particular because of their, because they're seen as dangerous and whatnot. On top of that, though, there's this, notion that um black women are seen as uh promiscuous as gold digging as you know su uh, uh not subversive but like 
there's deceptive. Like they're not. They're just using their feminine wiles to seduce you, and they, you know, just this demeaning nature of black women. And this is seen by both white uh, people and with and by black men. And so, like the 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 movie addresses head on. Like, the, this notion that there's this inherent misogyny within the music industry, going back to, like, the Beatles, all through the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones specifically have a lyric. I forget which... I don't know what the song they played in the movie was. They have a specific lyric where Mick Jagger is singing about how black girls are just trying... are just ho- are just horny and out to get you. And... My, ooh, ooh, yeah! Don't know how people missed that one. And then, of course, you go on to the Misfits, who had really angry, misogynistic lyrics for uh, the song that they played. So, I mean, just this undercurrent of misogyny has always been there. And then by the time 90s hip-hop rose, especially through gangster hip-hop, this hyper-machismo, this need to sound tough brought with it a lot of misogyny that never really got addressed until much later after the fact. And it's really, it's a really insightful documentary. Unfortunately, uh, it got a little, it got some negative buzz early on because just before uh, it was announced to be on HBO Max, it was slated for Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus. Then Oprah pulled out of it after receiving calls from Russell Simmons. After speaking with Russell Simmons, she decided. Oh, th- I uh, this isn't. Um, I can't be attached to this. There, you know, they, she claimed that. Oh, this. Uh, you know, th- this isn't. Th- their stories seem to be inconsistent. She tr- she she basically threw out excuses for the fact that a rich friend of hers. I don't know if they're friends or not. I don't know the relationship between Oprah and Russell Simmons, but basically, one rich person accused of. Um, rape and assault, uh, called up another rich person, uh, who was producing a documentary about that, that rape and assault, those rape and assault accusations, and, and, uh, magic, and somehow magically, the person produced, the producer decided, uh, things don't seem right, and I need to bounce, so yeah, it was, it, it was, um, you know, especially watching it now, knowing that Oprah decided that she would rather side with another rich person over the victims, really paints her in a bad light. And, um, I mean, she was already, uh, she already had baggage from bringing us Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz and all these charlatans. But now, but to, to know that when it came down to, uh, backing another rich, uh, rich black guy accused of, like, imagine if she did this for the Cosby accusations. Next thing you know, the, you know, Cosby's people are talking to her and all of a sudden she's like, well, I can't do this because, uh, you know, the stories seem inconsistent despite the fact that pretty much all the stories that these women tell were consistent about his MO, (laughs) you know? Oh no, these women, all 20 of them miraculously came out of the woodwork to conspire against... Nah, that's not how that works. Ugh. But um, on top of that, what people may not have uh, remembered is Ava DuVernay, who has been a very vocal uh, black filmmaker and, you know, uh, made the, very, the, ne- the Netflix documentary 13th, which is a very powerful... Documentary I have yet to see. 
uh, about the Thirteenth Amendment and how it has exploit been used to exploit uh, black people for over a century, almost two centuries. Uh, going on, yeah, going on two centuries now, and to know that she decried the, the, this uh, this movie, and she didn't, she was not uh, not in favor of this movie, and was very critical of it after being shown it, and <laughs> and, and kind of speaks to me that. Mm, <sighs> I don't, you know, once again, they're, they're, they're decrying inconsistencies, but I think it's one, I wonder how much of it is, like in the movie, the need to protect a prominent figure within their community. And I can't speak to that as somebody from the outside. I'm, you know, very clearly on the outside of this community. I'm only on the outside looking in. I can see through you, see your true colors. Because <laughs> inside, you're, sorry, uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, no, but. Um, I can't speak to that, uh, but the, but just the fact that Ava DuVernay and Oprah Winfrey, these prominent black women in entertainment, when given the opportunity to side with these victims, chose to side with the, um, accused and would rather protect a rich, uh, another rich guy rather than his victims. And I think, and the movie, once again, the movie addresses this. When you've been so, when your community has seen so much struggle to finally have people make it, you want them to succeed because it's, you know, you, you're now seeing yourself represented in the higher echelons of society. Unfortunately, that also means that if that because they're higher up, that means they're also more susceptible to the temptations of power and power will make you do some terrible, terrible things because it goes to your head and it makes you think you're invincible and you're um, you're able to get away with whatever you want. And that that's why so many people in power need to be held accountable. Like this, they go all the way back to, they even go back and address the Anita Hill hearings and how this has been a long standing issue of black women just not being believed when they raise issues of rape allegations and assault and assault allegations. Um, and, but, but, but what's nice to know is um, uh, Drew Dixon after everything that's been happening and after coming forward with this, Drew Dixon is starting to rebuild her music career uh, on a more independent level. And uh, I wish her nothing but the best because she's clearly a talented ear and a talented producer. And she did not, des especially since they bring up like one of the biggest, uh, uh, what was it? Um, it, was, it was a Method Man and Mary J. Blige collaboration. Let me pull up his discography. Singles. Uh, here it is. I'll be there for you. You're all I need to get by with Mary J. Blige. Apparently, um, it was Drew Dixon who heard his track and thought, you know what this could use is uh, this old uh, song. What was it? Um, uh, da -da -da, Tammy Terrell's. Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell's hit, You're All I Need to Get By. So she heard uh, Method Man's All I Need. And then she then she heard, uh, then she started hearing in her own, in her head, 
uh, you're all I need to get by. And she thought, well, what if we mix the two? And then who will we get to sing the Tammy Terrell part? Oh, we'll get Mary J. Blige. And yeah, so I mean, like she made this, um, you know, she helped uh, make bring together this amazing uh, single, this remix, and you know, made a yeah, and to know that this talented producer and this t- person with ear for great music was denied um, advancement in advancement in that career because the dudes running the record companies would rather hit on her and assault her and, you know, treat her like a video hoe, as it were. And they address that too, the fact that a lot, you know, throughout, as the video era began, music video era began, all of a sudden you started to see, you know, very fair-skinned, lighter-skinned black women with straight hair or sometimes wavy hair uh, just be there as objects of desire. As And, of course, you know, it's always the... It's always either, you know, yeah. If when the men are in power, then then the women are just objects to be used. And then when the women try to assert power over them through deceptions, then you know, then they're then they're evil. And it's it's an inherent misogyny that go that dates that goes outside of the black community into just society as a whole. They've, we've always had this issue, and yeah. It, I mean, I don't, I, just my review, I don't think does it justice. If you get the chance, if you have, act, most of, if you already subscribe to HBO, uh, you you will have HBO Max, um, be it HBO Now or through your cable provider. I'll get into that more in the discussion portion. But basically, if you can get access to HBO Max, watch this movie. It is powerful. It is rough to hear. It is rough to hear these stories and the details of it, but it is absolutely necessary that we elevate these, you know, these voices that, sh- that deserve to be heard. Um, so yeah, uh, especially in this, in this time, more now, you know, now more than ever, we need to elevate these voices. So I, I could not do this, uh, movie justice. Once I already said, yeah, it's one of my favorite of the year so far, and I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, this would be my pick of the week uh, in terms of the movies I watch. So yeah, uh, if you get the chance, please. And well, not only if you get the chance, take the chance to go watch this. Can't recommend it enough. But continuing down HBO Max, I checked. Uh, they have a whole bunch of stuff through Warner. One of which is the old Hobbit animated movie. From 1977, and I, it, I turned it on because I just needed something in the background to check out, you know. And it's like, okay, uh, I'm working on some other stuff, editing this and that, and I needed something to have on in the background. So here's one of my favorites from when I was a kid, The Hobbit, and it holds up fairly well. Its biggest problem is that it rushes the story. This is why I was okay with Jackson wanting to do a bigger adaptation of The Hobbit because this leaves a lot of stuff out from the book. And it's so bam, 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 bam. Do this, do that, because it was made for TV. And so they rushed everything to fit on a TV schedule. And I feel like they could have easily drawn it out more. You'll see the difference between this and another one that's on HBO Max now through HBO, uh, The Last Unicorn, 
The Last Unicorn was made for theaters, so they were allowed to draw it out and allow it to play like a movie. Whereas this feels like, oh, we got we don't have a lot of time. Bing, bang, bing, bang, bing. Come on, come on, P pick up the pace, pick up the pace. And um, yeah, I feel like I do like the design for it. The Rankin, whoever the uh, studio that did the animation for it was a did a very good job bringing this sort of medieval, um, middle ages sort of, uh, aesthetic to the art style, and it fit the fantasy design. Um, I do feel like, there, so once again, there's definitely room for expansion and inclusion. Just not three movies worth! Pete, you didn't need to make another trilogy. You could have just done a single movie. <laughs> but yeah, um, also featured on HBO Max are a bunch of Criterion movies. So there's a good chunk of the Criterion Collection featured through HBO Max. And um, one of the ones I decided to watch was Fantastic Planet. I don't know what brought me to watch it. I think it was just like, oh, I remember this. So I decided to check it out again. It is interesting. It's a French movie from what year was that? Uh, Fantastic Planet. What year was it? La, Plan La Planète Sauvage uh, is from 1973. Also, check. Wait, why is there check? Hold on a sec. What kind? It's a French Czechoslovakian. Uh, so I'm guessing So I'm guessing more Czech than Slovakian, because they're using check. I don't know. Anyway, um. So apparently it was a com uh, collaboration between a uh, French studio and a Czech studio. But um, it's adapted from a book called On, Ons en Série. I believe I'm pronouncing... I don't know how... Um, I'm getting that right. Sorry, French speakers. Um, Ons? I don't think... It's not... It's not. It's it's a play on Ons, uh, uh, the French word for men. But... Um, yeah, basically the idea is that it's set in the far future where tiny human beings are at the are uh, at the mercy of of these giant aliens called the drogs, and the drogs treat them as domesticated pets, but the ones in the wild are treated as vermin, and and so like it's this con you know it's this con it's basically this commentary. On uh, how we treat beings, uh, how we treat animals, because we deem them to be less intelligent than us. And then it's about the human beings rising up against the drugs. And specifically about one human being who has picked up a lot of drug knowledge to who become the new leader of the humans. And um, I didn't. I didn't watch the English dub, which did. Ha which is. Uh, who, which only has one main actor that I recognize, uh, Barry Bostwick, um, in it. And uh, so I watched the French dub for it on HBO Max, and it's interesting. I'll say that um, it's not a traditionally animated movie. It's more like, like slightly moving illustrations. You know the. You know it, it feels like very rudimentary motion, not traditional like fluid animation that you normally see. It's more like the these illustrations have gained some movement, but they're stuck in a second in two dimensions. Um, 
it's 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 weird. Uh, also, apparently, uh, in the on this planet, nobody believes in nipple coverage, uh, except for the men. The men must all cover their nipples for the most part. Uh, at least the drog men have to cover their nipples. The drog females are allowed to hang it all out. <laughs> but um, yeah, like the fact that the main character is rescued by the daughter of the mate of the head of the drogs after his mom is killed by a bunch of kids picking on the little humans because they're seen as, you know, nothing to them. So it's like toying with them and playing around with them like you would an ant or something is ultimately kills his mom and so he's essentially raised by this daughter and in hanging out with her and picking up from her uh she has this headband that essentially is like a tutor computer. She's a computer that gives out, that teaches various lessons about the universe and has this knowledge of drug um, culture and technology and whatnot. And by by uh, by um, a glitch in his uh, collar, he's able to learn all of this information through the headband and eventually gets to the point where he escapes from... Uh, from his draw cap captivity with the headband in tow and ends up uh, with a wild clan tribe of 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 ohms little people and just as their the drugs are starting to to pick up on their uh cleansing this their uh extermination of the ohms and this main character named uh tear is he uh, essentially he narrates gives a lot of the backstory and the data dumps on the planet and how it works and he eventually leads the ohms to rebel and and eventually start their own colony and be and be taken seriously against the drogs. Um, it's interesting too because it's a, it's a, it's an interesting story, but there's not a lot to the story. So a lot of the movie is padding out by showcasing this environment around them. It's almost like a nature documentary about um, whatever the planet is called, uh, Egam, um, and how these weird monsters and the weird environment all kind of works. And it's more about, and so that takes up a, a major chunk of the movie more so than the actual story. So it's very art artsy in that way. Plus, of course, you've got this killer psychedelic jazz um, soundtrack. It's trippy as hell. Uh, it's very 70s. So um, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting uh, movie, uh, just over an hour. But um, I wonder if the book's any better. I'll have to see if there's any uh, English translations of it. But, yeah, the movie itself is interesting. Um, I've, I definitely got ideas for a live-action remake of it, how that could work. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, movie uh, in and of itself. Um, continuing with uh, the HBO Max stuff, Primal. I, fi I finally got the chance to watch Guinea Tartakovsky's Primal because, along with the Criterion Collection... HBO Max has Adult Swim content. So this is where the Boondocks is going to be, plus the new Boondocks seasons uh, that they're working on. Um, 
But yeah, Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal is my jam. It is absolutely everything that I could have wanted. It's got a beautiful animation. It's got um, it's got you know dinosaurs and this sort of savage land sort of thing going on. Um, it's bloody as hell. It's it's almost like really metal. Uh, how it goes about it. And you know what it reminds me of specifically is there's a graphic novel series called Age of Reptiles that is that means a new re, that needs a new um edition out there because it is uh it is absolutely uh magnificent and it's wordless, it's just all dinosaur stuff and I love it. And this kind of and this definitely reminds me of that. Did I miss an episode? Hold on a sec. I'm on the Wikipedia page and and they're saying I missed an episode. Because they're, they're, they're describing one that I, I didn't see. Hold on. Ah, damn it. Uh, Crunchyroll apparently is also on HBO Max, but I'll get into that during the discussion. Um... Explore. No, they only showed up. They only have five episodes. Where'd this six episode come from? Oh, it just premiered. Weird. It just aired. Huh. So they are continuing it. Well, that's good. That was one of my things. I was concerned about if they were going to do more episodes of it. Uh,. So it's already start. So they aired it the same day as the um, as the uh, new, as the second half of Rick and Morty season four, and um, and then sometime this fall is going to be the remi- remainder of the episodes. So apparently, not the new the new stuff hasn't reached HBO Max yet, even though that's a month that's a month back. That's weird. Um, oh, they're also going to do a film adaptation. Uh, wait. The, a film adaptation of the series was submitted for... Okay. Huh. So they cut down a bunch of the episodes into a film. I'm curious to see how that looked. They should uh, release that. Anyway, um... Yeah, basic, the basic premise here is, if you've missed it, uh, it's Getty Tartakovsky, creator of Dexter's Laboratory and Samurai Jack, wanting to do a sort of Conan slash uh, Turok ancient caveman in a world, in a, you know, in a world of savage monsters and dinosaurs and whatnot. Um, no dialogue. Uh, all of the caveman named Spear does is grunt. And then it's all dinosaur roars and monster yet growls and whatnot. Um, no real timeline. This isn't a, this is just generic prehistoric fantasy. Uh, so there's dinosaurs alongside mammoths, alongside giant bats, alongside, you know, God knows what else. But, um, yeah, the first episode is, uh, what looked to be like, uh, red-horned tyrannosaurs is what they're called in, uh, in the, on the wiki. But it, they seem more like Carnotaurus to me. Uh, like the, specifically the Carnotaurus from, um, Disney's dinosaur, just more savage. And yeah, that's the thing about this. It is full-on bloody mess. It, it, it does not shy away from just like the brutality of broken bones and tore and 
you know, torn, like, torn everything, ripped everything, ripped apart and impaled and, ah, it's wonderful. Um, but yeah, the basic story f revolves around Spear, a uh, caveman who lost his family to these red tyrannosaurs, um, and Fang, a smaller tyrannosaur who's green, who also loses her family by these red tyrannosaurs, and um, they they end up teaming together uh, to survive and make it in this savage land. And it's it is I I loved it. I absolutely adored this whole thing. It is just straight up prehistoric fantasy nonsense, and I loved it. And I'm very curious to see how the second half of the first season goes. And I hope that there's more of it, just because it's fantastic. I love every second of it. And I need to find that sixth episode, since it's not on HBO Max yet. Uh, yeah, so Primal, if you get the chance to watch it, please do, if you haven't already. And if you have, watch it again, because it's 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 Gendy Tartakovsky at his best. This is why he's a master of animation. He's able to do so much with just... with. Just the visuals. No dialogue needed. It's all in the visuals. It's fantastic. Uh, and the last thing I watched, I did with um, Now Playing Podcast, did another uh, sort of hot... There's this app called Hot Mic, which is kind of like a streaming service specifically for your phone. And uh, so they did it where, we, where they, they were able to host a watch party of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So I rewatched that. And I gotta say, it holds up fairly well. The practical effects really make this, once again, tying back into the beginning of the episode where, I re where we talked about um, The Mandalorian, having those practical effects is gonna make your movie feel realer longer, depending on how well you do it, too. Because, I mean, like, rubber effects are gonna look dated and silly, but uh, really good practical effects work is gonna la make it last longer and look better Af and you know, and as years go by, because there's a there's a thing, that's a thing. Willy Wonka looks good for going on 50 years. It's almost gonna it's gonna be the 50th anniversary fairly soon for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Meanwhile, you look at something like oh I don't know, uh, Clash of the Titans from 2012 or whatever, and that or 2008 or whenever that came out, that thing looks dated as hell. It's garbage CGI because once again, <laughs> I mean it was garbage CGI then, but CGI dates way faster. CGI ages like milk. Good practical effects age like wine or cheese. And that's why so many of the original so much of the original trilogy works better than the prequels because so much of the prequels was all digital and you need more physicality there. Something that you let looks real and is real technically. And yeah, that's so that's just my rant on practical effects. <laughs> I you know not to be one of those guys practical is better than digital, but you need both. You need pra digital can enhance a good practical effect, but you need something there. That's why I, I am a fan of John Favreau's uh, movies because he's found a way to bring mix the practical and uh, the digital in a way that works amazingly. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, back to Willy Wonka. It's interesting, especially knowing that it's not very accurate to the book. But it was also written by Roald Dahl. So Roald Dahl's like, okay, I'm able to... But, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it's... um, 
he had less control over this draft or not his you know the draft or not but he basically you know he allowed for more of that change in t- in various aspects because it made for a better movie whereas if you look at the Tim Burton mo- version it is more accurate to the book but doesn't feel but still loses that whimsy that the book had whereas Willy Wonka is less accurate but maintain that sort of childlike whimsy about it. Um, of course, the only reason to see this movie is freaking Gene Wilder, who is a goddamn master of comedic timing. And he, he whereas apparently in the book, um, I rewatched uh, Dom's uh, be, uh, lost an adaptation about it uh, afterward after rewatching the movie, but. Um, Basically, uh, in the book, Willy Wonka is much more uh, just lighthearted, fanciful, like carefree sort of mercurial figure. Like, hey, you know, like, hey, oh God, what's a good comparison? Um, whereas the Tim Burton one with Depp made him more antisocial and awkward. It, basically, Gene Wilder's version with less without the snark. He's not as snarky in the book, but Gene Wilder captured his whimsy and his love of candy and his love of everything. But he, but Gene Wilder also brought that extra level of snark and like cynicism to it that made him like iconic. And <laughs> and uh, the fact that he relished in the in the sort of karmic punishments, despite the fact that that's not really how karma works. But I don't know what the appropriate Sort of like, um, what would be a good, uh, I guess consequential, just like that idea of like, you get what's coming to you, um, I, I, whatever the term is. We use karma, but it's not karma. It's not actual karma. We need to find a better term for it. Um, also the Veruca Salt a bit felt very heavy handed. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a brat. Blah, blah, blah. It's the parents fault. So it's like, it got really heavy handed compared to the other kids. Um, but we also need to talk about the big thing with Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory, which is the, the theory that Violet Beauregard deserved to win the contest. And basically for those who missed that whole, um, thread when it came out was, the theory was Violet Beauregard was better, was more knowledgeable about candy. She had a sense of sense for business. She was a much more, um, she was much more. She would, and you know, in in terms of like who was best suited to quote unquote run the factory, she it would have been her. Um, my counterpoint to that is. That's not the point. Willy Wonka is not a capitalist. He is, at you know, he's... One of the bits is that he wants to create candy that never goes bad for people who can't afford to keep buying candy. In the movie itself, like, he's willing to give away candy for three through free through the television. He is a very borderline communistic uh candy maker he is much more willing to give freely and less concerned with the capitalistic nature of the business uh, you know of the candy making business he's not concerned about making sales quotas he's more concerned about making candy and 
that's why Beauregard is not a good fit. I mean, in the book, it, it was ultimately these kids screwed around and got themselves disqualified from the contest anyway. But it was more so an interv interview process. Granted, the whole convoluted notion of uh, Slugworth tempting the kids with, with sabotage is not necessary. It's completely convoluted and stupid. But um, the idea is Willy Wonka is looking for someone like him. And when it comes down to it, Augustus was more concerned with feeding his face Violet was more cons you know was more cons uh, Violet was also more concerned about herself. Veruca was very much concerned about herself, and Mike TV was also more concerned about himself. And specifically in um, Tim Burton's version, he talks about how Willy Wonka is wasting his potential on candy when he could be you know patenting these things and changing the world. And once again, they're thinking in the capitalistic mindset which is not what Wonka wants. This is a fantastical, magical chocolate factory that doesn't obey the laws of physics, and these kids are more concerned about making money off of it, and, and, Willy, Won and Willy Wonka is more concerned with somebody to care, take care of it, more of like um, a manager than a, than a CEO. Somebody to, like, see to the Oompa Loompas, which, which are very, very much... <laughs> oof! Oof! The Oompa Loompas in the books. They're, like, full-on, like, pygmy um, stereotypes of indigenous people. It's... <laughs> Hashtag problematic indeed. Not to slight the book or anything, but just, you know, things we need to keep in mind when we, di when we discuss these IPs. Um... Suffice to say that, yeah, uh, the theory makes sense if you're a capitalist pig and you're completely missing the point of why Willy Wonka even held the contest in the first place. He, if he wanted a pre if he wanted someone to run his company like a business, there's plenty of people that could have done that. He wanted a kid specifically because he had hoped that a kid with the, would hold his similar childlike whimsy and hold on to that. And all the kids that won only one of them really maintained his mentality, and that was Charlie. By default, but still. Uh, yeah, Willy Wonka is still fantastic, even though it part of, parts of it don't make any damn sense, but it's mainly because Gene Wilder is amazing. So yeah, those are my reviews for this week. Uh, we're going to take a quick stopover on Patreon Corner and then go on to the discussion. And now a stopover on Patreon Corner. Once again, thank you to my current soul patron, uh, Mar, who's an old buddy of mine from back in the day. Uh, they asked me to review another one of their favorite movies, and one that I remember really liking when it came out, and I still like uh, upon rewatch. Philip K. Dick's A Scanner Darkly, the adaptation by Richard Linklater. Uh, for those who don't remember, in 2006... Uh, this movie came out. It was one of the final... Roto it, it has been the last American-produced rotoscope animated movie. And the idea is that it's an adaptation of the Philip K. Dick story, um, which is about a fictitious future drug and how um, 
the government is using an agent to try and find the source of it. But it's much more about addiction and the treatment of people with addiction than anything else. And uh, since my last job was in that field, uh, only, you know, only substantial, only like on a uh, entry level aspect of it, I got to see a lot of the stuff that's featured in this movie in terms of like addic- people's, uh, the behaviors of people with addiction and their, and especially their treatment uh, by people who are, you know, by the people who are supposed to be um, helping them. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, I still want to read the book. It sounds crazy. And, uh, for those who don't know, Philip K. Dick himself had a long history of drug addiction and, and, um, and, you know, uh, issues. And so the, the, a lot of this is actually self biographical. you know, it was autobiographical. And the drug, the fictional drug is based on amphetamines because that's the drug, that was his drug of choice at the time. And so in the book which was then added into the end of the movie, he dedicates every he dedicates the story to all the people he knew who were friends of his who were affected by drug addiction, either because they lost their lives or they suffered permanent psychosis or permanent organ failure. These you know, these people who who had no idea you know, had no idea how bad things would get taking this drug and he met and so he dedicates the story to them and it's it's really powerful stuff in that regard um also this cast is phenomenal like this is pre-iron man robert downey jr and post matrix keanu mixed in with woody harrelson and winona Ryder, and it's a phenomenal cast um and of course the uh, the uh, animation is solid i i, I actually followed uh some of the people over at spell i think Corey coleman actually managed to work on a couple of uh, on a bits of this because this was actually because this was link ladder he made it in austin and so there, there's a bunch of austin animators who actually ended up working on this and i think Corey coleman was one of them uh but uh i i only remember him talking about it when he was on spill uh his biggest claim to fame is <laughs> freaking space jam <laughs> anyway um yeah this whole like the movie opens up with uh, what's it? Oh, God, what's the actor's name? Rory Cochran, I think, uh, playing an addict who is um, shown to suffer from those um, itching sensations you get from uh, addiction, as seen by bugs crawling all over him. So he is dealing with these bugs crawling all over him, and we see the bugs. And then only as you know, only as the scene plays out, do we begin to realize the bugs aren't real. That's just his. That's just the addiction, and the drug, and the you know. That's what. That's just his brain trying to deal with um, the effects of this of this addiction, and so his skin is crawling all over like it's got bugs on it, and he's he sprays him. He even goes to the point of spraying himself with um pesticide because he's so freaking out between the hallucination of the bugs and also the feeling that things are always crawling all over him it is a really like it opens with a powerful scene uh so yeah and then of course um keanu plays a undercover cop trying to determine where this fictional drug is coming from 
And it's only over the course of the movie that we start to see uh, just how insane the, this whole thing is. Because um, it, he, uh, his character is starting to see, you know, he begins to kind of see through the veil of the war on drugs and the idea that, you know, they're trying to put a stop and protect the people of their community. And all, all it really amounts to is just... A bunch of BS uh, charade, you know, game of charades for people, and doesn't really, they're not really trying to help any, they're not really, they don't really care about anybody. They're just, you know, trying to, try, you know, trying to clamp down on, on these people. They don't, there's not, there's not a real concern for their community at all. And, um, and then as the story goes on, you see just how, um, unsympathetic the the government organization you know the government's uh, the government stand-in is in this case the police department towards addiction and their own their own people um specifically keanu reeves as he, because he's undercover he's taking he uh, you know he has started taking this fictional drug and they couldn't care less about him suffering from addiction they just you know they in fact, they'd completely disregard and you know demean him for getting addicted, as though it's his fault for getting addicted while being undercover, and it's just a complete disregard for his well-being. It really, you know, it's it does not it it, it does not <laughs> uh, hold back against um, that sort of government uh, um, inhumanity. Uh, you know, the, the idea that they don't genuinely care about us and. Yeah, this whole, of course, the conversation, a lot of the movie is conversations between Robert Downey Jr. and Woody Harrelson, who are just going out, trying to out-addict each other. Just The conversations they have in this movie, I've heard. Not word for word, but, um, but the, you know, just the idea of these conversations that addicts would have. I'm like, yeah, I've heard people talk exactly like this. Yep, yepers. <laughs> So uh, it's it's crazy stuff, and if you if you haven't um, if you haven't uh, hurt haven't had um, interactions with addicts, and you want to kind of have an idea of what it's like to talk to and interact with an addict, watch this movie because it nails that sort of manic nature this conspiratorial thing the twitching and like and of course robert Downey jr had his own issues with addiction as well so i think he kind of drew on that to bring that to this performance because this was right before he really started to come back this was his post um this was his post uh what was it sex tape scandal where he was you know dealing with addiction and alcoholism so i mean like he's been so he's been on the bat wrong side of things in terms of addiction and he's kind of bringing that forward in this role and meanwhile keanu he's very to, you know he's very close to the vest for the most part but as the movie goes on he be, you begin to see him losing his mind as he deals with this addiction and this is really much more about addiction than anything else, and especially like the treatment of addicts. As the as the movie goes on, you just see, and and eventually we end up at a at a place that is essentially a rehabilitation center, and they just they they straight up call him a loser for being an addict, and it's this whole yeah, it's a very, it's a very, and I I think it hits harder 
now having been in that environment where I've seen a lot of this same mentality thrive and a lot of this same sort of mistreatment of addicts and this and the idea that these people are you know they're deemed lesser and as though they're suffering from a moral failing and not a you know a medical fail and me, you know a medical issue and Philip K Dick addressed this as well I think in the book and in, in talking about addiction he acknowledges the fact that this this is a this is much this is a chemical issue this is a medical issue not a moral issue and I think people are now finally catching on to that and tr- not, you know, not, you know, treating people with addiction as immoral and just trying to help them deal with their condition. So, yeah, uh, not to give too much away. I mean, there is a big twist. I guess I could give it away. It's a pa- it's a patron request who um, who's seen the movie. I've seen the movie. If you haven't yet, uh, spoiler ahead, basically... Uh, at the at and the the big reveal going ahead after um, we find out that um, Keanu's character has been uh, has been developing addiction, you know, has 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 built up this addiction to this fictional drug. We find out that his supervisor, the one who put him up to this task of going undercover, was actually Winona Ryder, who this whole time has been pretending to be his girlfriend. So this girlfriend, this girl he's been dating this whole time who he thought was also an addict has actually been his supervisor and has been the one to put him through this ringer because it turns out the big rehabilitation center that uh, treats this drug addiction is the one manufacturing the drug to be sold. And they wanted somebody on the inside to figure this out but in order to do that, they needed somebody who was an actual addict. So they got one of their own undercover officers addicted to this drug so that they could realistically enlist him in the rehabilitation program in order to uncover the fact that it's the rehabilitation center who is manufacturing this drug. And they did it without his knowledge. That's what I mean when I say this this inhumanity by the government, the idea that they're uh, they un, you know they they um forced a man without his knowledge to become addicted to a drug in order to uncover because there's no reason for him not to uh, other than they decided, oh, I guess I, I don't know if they explained it better in the book, but in the movie they don't, they just kind of sl- you know slam it at the end there as like a, a big f u to Keanu, uh, <laughs> and Winona Ryder feels like garbage because she is a soul. But you know the guy she's talking to, the other age, the other um, officer behind it was behind the plan was like, no, nah, it, it is what it is. We got to do what we got to do, and we got to figure out if this is it. And uh, <laughs> it just has no concern for freaking Keanu's life, who has been riddle you know has been probably ruined by his addiction to this drug. And yeah, it's it's a it's a dark dark movie. It doesn't get heady, sadly, which is a big thing with Philip K. Dick stuff. And you see a bit of it in Blade Runner, uh, which is based on one of his books, but you don't really get a lot of it in the movie adaptations of him. Philip K. Dick is a very philosophical, very heady writer, and Hollywood is not good at adapting that sort of stuff. And it tries to go there here, but it doesn't really make it. I feel like he's better that part of it is better read 
than uh, seen. But yeah, A Scanner Darkly, if you haven't seen it in a while, it's free on Vudu, which is uh, Walmart's streaming service. Um, yeah, Walmart has a streaming service, has had it for a while. It's a digital uh, movie front, uh, you know, movie store that you can buy things digitally in. And uh, they have free movies with ads. So uh, if you want to watch it free with ads, it's there. Um, but the other, yeah, if you haven't in a while uh, and you get the chance, to, uh, I, I still recommend A Scanner Darkly. It's a... Uh, it's definitely a lot more powerful now, having seen it after um, having more interactions with uh, people who have been addicted to various drugs. And you see a lot more of what Philip K. Dick was trying to convey uh, once you've been in that world. So, yeah, um, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's time to talk about HBO Max. Into every generation, a slayer is born. One girl in all the world, a chosen one. And alongside her are the Watchers. We are the Watchers. Once more with feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy fancast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy, discuss them, and release it every Tuesday. Grr, arg. Well, it technically released last week. Um, that was my 200th episode week, so I didn't want to um, really go in-depth on HBO Max during that when I'm already celebrating 200 episodes. Um, so I, d- I took a little more time to check this out. Um, the big For those who don't know, this has been a uh, collaboration between AT&T, who own HBO, and Warner Media. And so you've um, you've got this collection between the two of them, as well as some other um, uh, uh, studios. You've got uh, the Sesame Workshop, which is through HBO now. Um, a lot of the Turner stuff, so Turner Classic Movies, uh, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, uh, Warner stuff like DC is going to be is on there. The Looney Tunes are on there. They've also teamed up with Crunchyroll. And Studio Ghibli, the entire where um, you, Ghibli made a deal with Netflix in the UK and New Zealand. Um, here in America, the entire Studio Ghibli art. Let me see. Let me make sure it's the entire one. But I believe the yeah, it looks like the entire Studio Ghibli collection is all here, all the way down to Pom Poco and my neighbors, the Yamadas. Uh, Porco Rosso, Kiki's Delivery Service, Ponyo, Nausicaa, When Marnie Was There, Castle in the Sky, Princess Kaguya, Ocean Waves, Whisper of the Heart, Tales of Earthsea, the, uh, really, really bad adaptation of Ursula K. Le Guin's, uh, books is even there. So, yeah, it looks like pretty much the like the only thing that they don't have is the one that isn't a tech is only uh was only drawn by them uh the um Lupin the third movie it's not a true Ghibli movie it was a Ghibli produced the Ghibli animated movie but yeah Porco Rosso the wind rises um 
Howl's Moving Castle, Spirited Away, Arietti, uh, from up on... Po- oh, you know what's not here yet is Grave of the Fireflies. Let me see something. Where's that being... I knew I... I figured it was, something was missing. I knew something was missing. I just couldn't remember what. Um, actually, let me see what else... Uh, is missing in terms of... Because that's the other thing, too, is... A bunch of Looney Tunes stuff is missing. Okay, Grave of the Fireflies is currently on Hulu. So I'm guessing when that license ends... Same with how, like, it took a while for Black Panther and Infinity War to make their way over to Disney+, Plus because they already had a deal with, um... With, uh... Netflix... It's probably the same thing here. When Grave of the Fireflies um, licenses ends uh, end with Hulu, they're going to move it over here to uh, HBO Max. Come on. Oh, that's right. It, w- Wicked, as of right now, uh, this recording, Monday, uh, June 8th, uh, at midnight, a little after midnight, it, uh, Wikipedia is actually down. So, um, fun fact there. Uh, let me see... Castle in the Sky, Porco Rosso, Nausicaa, Kaguya, Yamadas, um, Cat Returns, Ocean Waves, Pompoco. Yeah! The only one missing is Grave of the Fireflies, and that's because it's over on Hulu for right now. So once, so it's pretty much the entire eight, uh, Ghibli collection, uh, minus Grave of the Fireflies for right now. Um, but yeah, like I mentioned, the Looney Tunes collection is missing a bunch. Um, like Rabbit... Rampage, I didn't find on there. Let me see if they found... Let me see if they added it yet. Rampage. Yeah, it's still not on the service yet. Um, So there's a good chunk of the um, Looney Tunes archive. I mean, they go back to the 30s, which which is good, which is neat. But I feel like Boomerang had a bigger collection... Uh, a more in-depth collection of the Looney Tunes cartoons. They just organized it by characters, but uh, on HBO Max they go all the way back to the to the 30s uh, in terms of um, in terms of ca- the cartoons. But uh, they also include um, the Sylvester and Tweety mysteries. Uh, they include um, the new Lo- the Looney Tunes show. From Cartoon Network from a from a couple years back, the sitcom one they did. Um, uh, they've got uh, Tweety's High Flying Adventure, the movie from back in the day. Um, but if you look at their uh, their the actual cartoon, the actual um, cartoons themselves, they're organized by season. But, like, they're missing major chunks. Like, they have the first ever Looney Tunes short, and then it cuts to the fourth, and then the fifth for the first season. And then they've only got three from season two. And then they've only got a couple from season six. So, I mean, they're all over the place. It's not a cohesive collection yet, which is crazy because it's Warner Media. You should, you would think that they would have the ability to do that. It would be like if Disney decided, no, not every Disney um, animated feature 
that from the vault is going up on Disney Plus. We decided not to put up Black Cauldron for some reason, you know. Um, but they've also got uh, things like Big Bang Theory, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, uh, all the HBO stuff. Uh, Doctor Who is on here as well. Uh, Kill a Kill, I've got on my list to watch. Um, so I've got a bunch of stuff through Crunchyroll. Actually, let's take a look at their Crunchyroll collection. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, In Slash Spectre, Konosuba, Roroni Kenshin, uh, RE Zero, Cabaneri of the Iron Fortress, Berserk, but I think that's that new CG one. Ooh, they've got erased. Uh, I, the, for those who've been following the show from way back in the day that may remember uh, me and a buddy of mine, Mike, did a bunch of, did a show about Japanese media called Maji Day. Uh, we covered the, this, the Erased adaptation, uh, anime adaptation, when it was on Netflix. It's over on HBO Max now. Highly recommend that. Um, so a couple of major, uh, major um, anime featured here through Crunchyroll. Not a cohesive one. Not the full Crunchyroll collection, obviously. They probably want you to do the, their service, mainly. Because uh, they still got Verve going on. I still say, while H until HBO Max fully encompasses the that catalog, then there's no reason to not to get rid of your Verve collection just yet. Because um, Verve still has a lot more than uh, HBO Max does at the moment. But let's take a look at uh, Turner Classic Movies as well. Casablanca, Citizen Kane. All, every iteration of A Star is Born is on there. Little Shop of Horrors uh, from the 80s. Uh, 42nd Street, Gold Diggers of 1933. Hard Day's Night, Xanadu. The Blob, Vampire, Piranha, Freaks. The original from 19, what was it? Uh, 32 is on here. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. Eraserhead. Scanners. Critters is on here. Uh, Limelight. A bunch of Charlie Chaplin stuff is here. The Great Dictator. Old Westerns like, um, The Wild Bunch, Cimarron, Rio Bravo, Sierra Madre, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Uh, Harold and Maude, Blythe Spirit. Uh, a couple of, um, there's a, there's a couple of, um, what's his name? Buster Keaton stuff here too. Uh, so yeah, you, to be or not to be, a uh, bunch of the stuff that's actually featured on, uh, the IMDb's 200, 200, uh, 200, uh, top 200 episodes from last week. The, the bunch of that stuff is here. Uh, North by Northwest, Singing in the Rain. Casablanca, Citizen Kane, I mentioned. Um, da -da -da, I'm trying to see if there's any of the other ones. Uh, oh my god, there's one called Eyes Without a Face. <laughs> oh lord. Um, uh, Modern Times, Gold Rush, City Lights, Great Dictator. Uh, all, you know, so much of Chaplin's stuff is on here. Um, the Kid. So yeah, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Uh, it's got a very, very robust collection, which is what um, Netflix had and why, uh, you know, Disney Plus is having, which is why, um, going back to a couple episodes ago, Quibi 
did that's why Quibi's faltering so badly because it has nothing going for it. It's all new stuff that hasn't been proven for the most part. Whereas HBO Max here has not only eight, most of HBO's entire catalog, but the entire Harry Potter series, uh, the Lord of the both Lord of the Rings and Hobbit uh, trilogies, Black Klansman, Titanic, Magic Mike, Wonder Woman, When Harry Met Sally. Uh, the Downton Abbey movie, you know, the Ghibli movies, Contagion, all of HBO's TV series that I mentioned, uh, you know, and of course with, with kid stuff, you've got Ninja Turtles, the SpongeBob movie, the Powerpuff Girls, Looney Tunes, Sesame Street, Dexter, go all the way back to the Flintstones and the Jetsons. So, I mean, you've got an ent- a massive collection of, um, film and TV and stuff. They they even have a they even have a um on the front page, uh they have a whole thing for uh LGBT films and television. So Euphoria, Victim, The Times of Harvey Milk, The Kids Are All Right, Boy Erased, Behind the Candelabra, Bessie, uh Boys Don't Cry, Angels in America, the new one Legendary, which is an HBO Max original. Which is that one about, um, uh, what is it, voguing, uh, I believe. That, you know, it's a dance competition in that regard. Uh, the one that was got into trouble because um, people didn't, you know, were... Um, oh, no, it's hosted by MC Deshaun Wesley. What am I thinking of? Oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, Jamila Jamil went from being a ho- the host to being a judge. And um, now it's being hosted by MC Deshaun Wesley. Okay, so it looks like they addressed that issue that people had, and they know she she uh, Jamila Jamil ended up uh, shooting herself in the foot trying to defend her hosting the show. But yeah, like I mentioned, Doctor Who is here. Um, everything that's on the HBO film lineup, be it their originals or what's in their um, catalog for the channel, uh, it, it's all on HBO Max. Uh, basically, from what I'm seeing, how it works is um, if it's on HBO, well, number one, if you have HBO, you already have HBO Max. So when I signed up for this, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to pay for another subscription. But my parents already have HBO through cap- for, through their cable bill. So we don't have to pay for HBO Max because we already pay for HBO. However... If you're somebody who does not already pay for HBO in some regard, you will have to pay for HBO Max. And they have a various other, um, you know, they have the, what is their, uh, what are their um, uh, plans? What are their payment plans? 15 bucks a month. So, uh, yeah, and that's everything on HBO now, which is everything on HBO and then, of course, like I mentioned, all the stuff that's there through Studio Ghibli and uh, Warner Media. Uh, as for their original stuff, I didn't watch Crap. Wait, who's hosting Craftopia? I feel like I've seen her before. Hold on. There's a kids' competition show called Craftopia. Okay, Laura D. Laura DIY. Never heard of. Her. She looks like um that chick from the Cheetah Girls. Um. But yeah, basically, it's some kids' craft competition show. Um, I haven't seen Love Life yet. I'm probably gonna I'm gonna watch that for next week. I tried to watch Elmo, the late night show with Elmo. That that whole thing, I couldn't get through one episode. 
It is big. I mean, if you've got more of a stomach for that late night format, um, like if you if you like the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, you'll probably enjoy Not Too Late Show with Elmo because it's I like the bits with Elmo and it, it being you know like Sesame Muppets and whatnot. I just don't like that Tonight Show format. I hate that format so much, and I'm so sick of it. So yeah, this isn't for me. Um, I mentioned last week, I reviewed the Looney Tunes cartoons. Those are also worth uh, checking out the service for. But yeah, it's it's a massive collection on here. Um, oh, for the DC stuff, you've got most of the... Um, I think pretty much all of the DC animated stuff. You've got Batwoman on here. The movies like Wonder Woman, Justice League, Jonah Hex, Steel! Oh my god, Steel, Catwoman, and Supergirl are here. Oh, lovely. Um, but they've also got the animated ones like The Killing Joke, Return of the Joker, the Wonder Woman animated, the uh, Teen Titans, The Judas Contract, DC Superhero Girls, I got a bunch of that. Beware the Batman is here. The, um, the 90s Batman collection is here uh, as well. Let me see what else we've got. Um, Doom Patrol, they've also got from uh, their uh, DC Universe service. Um... Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Joker's on here. Shazam is on here. T- the old Teen Titans cartoon is on here, as well as Teen Titans Go to the movies. Not not the Teen Titans Go, though, oddly enough. I'm not sure why that's not on here. Also, they include Watchmen on here for the D- with the DC stuff. So, so yeah, DC's not as robust, probably because they still want you to subscribe to DC Universe. But, um... If we look at the uh, Cartoon Network stuff, uh, Apple and Onion, no idea what that is. Uh, Steven Universe, Dexter's Lab, We Bear Bears, Adventures of Flapjack, Marvel's Mission Adventures of Flapjack, Chowder! Love Chowder! Regular Show, Fosters, Mighty Magiswords, Clarence, all the Ben 10 stuff, Craig of the Creek is on here. Um, What else we got? Amazing World of Gumball, yes, Adventure Time. Uh, the new Powerpuff Girls and the original Powerpuff Girls are on here, so there's a differentiation. Uh, something called Victor and Valentino. I'm not familiar with that. Oh, but they do have a dog with D- with like the Dia de los Muertos skull. I'll have to check that out. Uh, I'll add that to my list. Um, also put on Amazing Road of Gumball to rewatch. Uh, we'll check out Apple and Onion. Uh, see what that's about. Chowder, we're gonna want to rewatch. Craig of the Creek, I want to check out. Um, I th- oh, I do need to watch regular show, uh, and I do need to check out Steven Universe. So yeah, there we go. Um, and then the last thing we want to check out is uh, Adult Swim, which is the only one we haven't really looked at. Well, we haven't looked at Sesame Workshop either. Uh, it just has a collection of all the Sesame Street episodes, uh, looks like. Uh, as, as me and... Oh, they have the Electric Company! Which version? This is the Electric Company from 26, 2009. I did not know they did a reboot of the Electric Company. And there's only two seasons. That explains a lot. Something called Pinky Dinky Doo? Elmo's Playdate, When You Wish Upon a Pickle. Um, aw, the, the thing they just did with uh, Standing Up to Racism is on here, too. Neat. Um, 
Oh, that's the other thing I wanted to talk about. The how do th- how does how does you know since a lot of this stuff is actively airing, how does it um, end up on HBO Max? Uh, once I get through Adult Swim, see what's on here. Uh, Rick and Morty, obviously. Uh, home movies, Boondocks, Metalocalypse, Samurai Jack, Space Ghost Coast to Coast, and Robot Chicken. Not a big collection of Adult Swim stuff. They're missing a whole lot of Adult Swim material for some reason. Maybe they're going to add more of it from who, as they move it from Hulu to HBO Max. Once again, it's probably licensing issues. But, um, yeah, how it works essentially is same way with HBO Now. An HBO episode, once it, about um, 3 a.m., uh, after it airs, it'll be added to the digital service. So it'll be on HBO Now, HBO Go, and HBO Max the next day essentially after it airs and i'm guessing it's about let me take a look at that um sesame street one uh when did that initially aired it just lists 2020 um so yeah i guess it i guess it a, a little after it when it goes up it'll be added to the online service usually it about it takes about a day to be added, and uh, I'm guessing if you follow them on like Twitter or something, you can keep up to date with um, the new additions. Now, here's the biggest problem. Currently speaking, it's uh, it, let me see something. HBO Max. Is it's What are they on? Because uh, that was a big thing. Is um, uh, da, 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 what are the? They're not listing the uh, ones that they do have on it. Um, come on. Here we go. What devices can stream HBO Max? All right. Uh, currently, we've got... Come on. Here we go. Apple devices. Uh, iPhone, iPod Touch, I- Apple TV. Um, Google's a- Google Android devices, as well as Chromebooks, Chromecasts. Uh, PlayStation 4 has it. Xbox One has it. It's like Samsung uh, smart TVs have it. The, only, the biggest ones that don't have it right now, after going on two weeks, are Roku and Amazon Fire Sticks. So, sadly, I'm a, uh, I'm a Ro- I've got a Roku system uh, for my streaming, so I actively cannot watch uh, HBO Max on my TV because it, I, I don't have my Xbox set up to stream, and I don't... Uh, that, and it's not available on Roku yet, still, after almost two weeks. And they say that they didn't have um, a deal in place. But I guess my biggest criticism would be don't launch the platform unless you can get it on all... Uh, don't launch your service unless you can guarantee it's on every platform. 
Disney Plus made sure that if you they had deals in place for every single platform, so you there's not a place you couldn't go without getting Disney Plus, and um, I th- and I think that's the biggest hurdle that um, HBO Max and, and uh, AT and T and Warner are stumbling with is that there's two major platforms that are that can't that that you can't watch their content on. And what's holding them up? Like, what is, like, why are they, why is, you know, what kind of deals are they hoping to get with Roku and Amazon that they're not getting and they're denying people the, their ability to easily consume their, this service? So, like, what, what are they, what are they holding out for? Uh, and why, and why did they, why didn't they wait to say, oh, um, why you know why did they why did they hold fast to the May announcement and not say oh uh, we're gonna hold back and push it to June and um and do and do and um and you know wait until they had the deals in place in or, and then launch the service I think that's my biggest thing and then because like I've been only able to watch it on my browser. Which is fine. It's not bad. I mean, the video quality is fine, but it's just a matter of it's an inconvenience to me because I don't watch content on my on my computer. I watch it on my Roku, and I can't watch it on my Roku because of some convoluted deal that they're not getting in place. So yeah, um, HBO Max has an, has not been a perfect launch, but it's a it's a solid collection. And uh, if you're a Roku user, you can hold up. You don't have to get it right now. Because I, I would, I would, you know, you would be better off to wait until you can use it on your Roku. If you're an Apple TV user, if you're a um, a Samsung Smart TV user, a Chromecast user, uh, or you watch things on, or, or an Xbox or PS4 use, P, uh, PS4 user, or you um, watch things on your computer, uh, go ahead. Uh, and if you already have HBO, you technically already have HBO Max. You just have to sign in with it. And um, yeah, I I I enjoy the service. I'm enjoying the service right now. I think it's a it's a solid. Uh, hopefully they don't try to splinter this off. But um, yeah, I think in terms of like the robust collection it has, it's worth it's worth the 15 bucks if you don't already have HBO. But uh, I, you know, I think HBO Max is a, it's a solid service for right now, and I'm very interested to see how they add add to it. Like Disney Plus has been a solid service, uh, inter- but they the problem is Disney Plus is starting to peter out a bit, and I feel like HBO Max can get a one up on them if they can as new stuff gets added to HBO, it automatically goes to HBO Max. Whereas a lot of Disney's currently airing stuff on like the Disney Channel or ABC and all these other places are not going to Disney Plus. They're holding off because they want you to watch it on TV first. Whereas HBO's like, no, we're going to add to it for the people who aren't who don't have live TV. So, I think that's the big leg up they have is that stuff can get automatically added to HBO Max the next day for those who don't have live TV. And then, of course, on top of that, you have... So, on top of this actively building library, you have the back catalog of all this other stuff. So, it's a very solid thing. I just wish I didn't... wasn't I could watch it, be, be, you know, outside of my web browser. But that's just me. So, 
Uh, and of course, like Disney Plus, there's not a lot of original programming. There's just uh, Love Life, the new Looney Tunes cartoons, that legendary show, the On the Record documentary, the Elmo Late Night show, and that Craftopia show. But there's gonna they're gonna be have more slated to come to the service over the next couple of months. So we'll see what their original content looks like um, uh, a couple of months from now. And uh, as new stuff premieres, I'll be sure to try and talk about it if, I, if you know. But a bunch of it seems to be a lot of reality, competition-based stuff. That's not my jam. Uh, there's nothing I can really say about that. So uh, keep an eye on it. Uh, you don't have to be an early adopter just yet. You may want to wait until it's a better fit for you. But at the same point, I think it's a solid uh, new service. So uh, that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GummyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and faving us on your web browser. Be sure to check out all of our other fine programming. We've got Dungeons & Dragon Types, which is an actual play D&D podcast featuring centered in the world of Pokemon. Uh, we've also got Living in the Stacks, which we've got a couple of um, mini episodes starting, uh, getting ready to come out hopefully soon. Um, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the midst of a move, so I can't really read at this moment. But uh, as things start to simmer down, I'm going to try and do some more reading. Um, check out all of Donna's stuff at the uh, Snarkast, Once More Feeling, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, The Family Business. All that stuff is there. And then if you yourself are a podcaster and would like to join our fledgling little family, we'd love to have you. Just send all your inquiries to GumbyCatNetworks at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find us on your various podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia. And while you're there, if you could leave a five-star rating and let people know that you like this show, then they should check it out as well. You can also find us on uh, social media at facebook.com slash popcorn junkie, Twitter at corn junkie pod, letterboxd at corn junkie pod, and, um, and of course, I have, um, I'm sitting on Stardust and uh, Instagram, Popcorn Junkie Podcast on Instagram, and Popcorn Junkie on Stardust. I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let you know, I'll do Stardust when I can. Uh, I'm gonna f- try to figure out a way to get Stardust back up and running. I'm just, it's a lot, I'm so used to the routine of it, do, doing it in my car that I'm not used to doing it in my home. Uh, so yeah, well hopefully I can get that back up and running soon. But um, I'm, mo- I'm very active on Letterboxd. Uh, I chronicle all of the stuff I review in terms of movies over there, so you check me out there. Um, and then uh, you can also support the show on Patreon. Uh, Mar, uh, my buddy, leaves uh, $2 a month, and I've been covering stuff uh, for them every week since they started supporting the show. If you want to be like them, you can also donate as little as $1 a month, and I'll cover stuff that you want. And then um, you can also have access to the Much Alongs and Make a Better Movie series. And then if you want me to try and bring those back we can try if we can if we can get enough support for that i would love to but as little as one dollar a month uh no tier system uh, as soon as you sign up you get the rewards and uh i'm i'd be i'm just happy to have your support so that's patreon.com slash popcorn junkie if you want to be featured on the patreon corner uh and have me review something or if you want to help uh, make help you know help build up uh, and make, make, you know, do maybe I can do make a better movies as like a discussion. Maybe not its own episode of things anymore. We'll see. But um, 
I would love to hear your thoughts and love to have your sort of input on what to do with the show. And you can do that by supporting the show on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. And if there's anything else you want to say to the podcast, you can send it to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And I think this is actually going to be the last episode I I record at Casa de Juan, as I've called it in the past. I'm probably not going to miss it that much, but uh, we'll find a new name for the new studio next time. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. And now and forever, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter.